Well, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here. Uh, we still have people in the back, so if you don't mind, if there's any rows or any chairs between you, do you mind just becoming a family today? That would help us if you don't mind just shuffling over. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here. We are in the book of Mark, and we're talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, last week, as Nick introduced this whole series in the book of Mark, he talked about how uh, Jesus came as promised, but he came to where we are. And that's where that that's the whole picture of the gospel is God didn't wait for us to measure up to a certain level of performance. He didn't wait for us to get our act together while we were still in sin. Christ came to this world. He lived a perfect life for us. He died on a cross to completely cover uh, our forgiveness and our redemption on the cross. And he rose again on the third day. This is Jesus. And it's Jesus who just doesn't call us to trust in his work for us. He also calls us to follow in his way. And that's what a follower is. We follow in the way of Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, open up there with me. We're going to be looking at a parable where Jesus is teaching. And I want to just put some context around this parable because Jesus was... The book of Mark is fascinating. In Matthew, we're introduced to a lineage. We're introduced to a story. We see Jesus' background. We see Bethlehem. We see in Luke, we see also Jesus' early days, his his birth and his the angels announcing his birth and the wise men coming and celebrating the birth of Jesus. But in Mark, we go from zero to 120. It's this is who he is. This is what he called. Boom. We're right into his ministry. And uh, within within three short chapters, we we see uh, a different response as Jesus proclaims who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's he is God. And there were three different responses that we see up to this point. John Stott in his book, uh, Basic Christianity, says there's basically three responses to Jesus when he presented people presented himself to people. The curious uh, wanted him to do things for him. And so they came to him and said, heal me, feed me, take this problem from me, whether it was a demonic spirit or whatever. And he did that. But when he then called them to follow him, we see this picture. The curious walked away. They didn't want to die to themselves. They wanted their life their own way. They didn't want to follow him. There were also those who were critical of Jesus. They were skeptical. They, they were so entrenched in their religious beliefs and their religious systems that when Jesus showed a different way, one of grace, not of works, they hated him and they waged war against him. And as you were reading in your journal this week, you saw in like chapter three, verse six, the scribes plotted to destroy him. It's early in his ministry and they wanted to snuff him out. Even his own family back in Nazareth, when he was, when he was there and he was teaching, they came alongside and they tried to sweep him away. And, and it says in chapter three, verse 21, because they believed he was out of his mind. I visited Nazareth this past year. And remember outside of Nazareth, there's this, uh, this high mountain called the Mount of Precipice. And it was there that, that when Jesus spoke in the synagogue and he read the Old Testament passage and he said, today this is fulfilled in your, before your very eyes. They took him and they rushed him out to that place to throw him over. And he, he escaped. He, he, he just disappeared within the crowd. 
So his own town rejected him. And we see later on in chapter 3, him calling the 12, this inner circle of those who would be a follower, who would not only believe in him, but would follow him and would uh, preach his kingdom in this world. And Jesus actually pushed out of his own hometown, settled in a town called Capernaum, which is in the, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. I was also there in June. I took a picture at the ancient harbor of Capernaum. Here's a picture of it. Uh, beautiful area. Uh, Jesus was teaching here and, and he was uh, giving a parable. And a parable has a main point. But it's, it's to everyone who would hear it. And oftentimes when Jesus was teaching a parable, he would say, whoever has ears, let him hear. In other words, this is for everyone. And for those who had rejected him and they were kind of on the outside, Jesus was warning them. And to those who were on the inside, Jesus was giving, he was exhorting them to follow him and to be open and to, to be available to him, his word and his presence in their lives. So teaching in this area around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was pushed out into a boat. The crowd was so big that to contain the crowd, he just put himself in a boat, probably of one of the, the fishermen that who were part of the, the 12. And they pushed off a little bit from shore. And in this area, it actually has been researched. You can, when you speak from a boat, you actually, your voice is amplified as it heads up towards the shore. And so Jesus did that. And so as we read this, just think about Jesus. Picture yourself being there and listening to someone out in a boat, probably elevating his voice to tell you this parable. Here it is. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seed that fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no root. It withered away. Other seed, I'm sorry, it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, um, Vincent van Gogh spent months in wheat fields in France. And because he had a Methodist background, he started to, to paint different biblical stories. And in June of, 19, of 1888, he did this work called The Sower. It's in kind of a post-impressionist style, but it represents the four types of soil that the sower would throw seeds on. Jesus was using in this thing, this, this parable, he was telling a story with ordinary words, words like a sower, a seed, soil, grain. It's something everyone walked by. If you grew up on a farm, you know what I'm talking about. You saw the fields, you saw the whole purpose of why does someone go out in the first place and throw seed into soil? And he wanted to teach an extraordinary truth. Now, I'm a visual learner, so I want to kind of kind of just unpack this story. 
and kind of kind of call to your attention the soil, the seed and the result, the fruit. And let's just go through these. So the sower goes out to sow and he throws seed on the first place, the first soil. And that's the path. And what happens to it? Since the path is hardened, it couldn't interact with the soil and it didn't come to life. It was vulnerable. It was feed, literally feed for the birds. And as a picture, it's stolen away. The second type of soil are rocks. And this probably wasn't just a rocky, rocky place. It probably had a thin layer of topsoil, which is very, very, very common in the Middle East. But below it was rock. So it would interact with the soil and and as long as there was moisture in spring rains, everything's great. But the second it's the sun comes out and dries up the 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 uh, humidity, drives up the moisture in the in the soil. Look out! It's scorched, and they wither away and die. And then there was seed on the weeds, and it was thrown into the weeds. And what do you have here? You have competition for nutrients, for water, for sunlight. And as a result, this seed is choked out. It grew up and was alongside the weeds, but it never produced a fruit at all. And then there's the good soil. And this good soil, this seed fell on it. It was received. It grew up It increased and it yielded 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. Now, in the normal Middle Eastern land, it was seven to 10 times. So when Jesus said 30, 60, 100, people looked at each other and went, those kind of yields are not, <laughs> that's only God could do something like that. So now this is not to be compared as you look at the Christian life. And as you look at your own heart, it's not going to be, don't try to take this parable and go, okay, the, the hardened soil, that's the worst. And then it's not so bad on the, on the rocky and it's okay on the weeds. And okay, the best one is, is the good soil. Now don't compare them because the picture of this parable is focuses on one soil, not just on all four. It just, it focuses and narrows down to one. And I want to kind of call this to your attention a little bit. Do you remember Family Feud? Yeah, when they go, survey said. Okay, that's what I want to play with you real quick. Because it was all about the fruit. And the question is, which soil bore the fruit? So on the first one, on the path that was stolen, did it bear fruit? Survey said. Good. So there it is. I'll do that noise for you. Okay. And on the rocks... Where it wasn't deep, it didn't have any depth. And when the sun came out and scorched it, did it bear fruit? Survey said, no, it's not there. And then weeds. I'm sorry if I'm insulting your intelligence, especially if you're a professor today. Forgive me. But the weeds, where it was, it was brought up, it was competed, it was choked out. Did it produce fruit? Survey said, no. Okay, so which one is the highlighted one? It's the good soil, right? That we can check the mark. It produced 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. Okay? The purpose of this parable is to tell us that a follower of Jesus Christ bears fruit. That's the focus. When God looks at your life and he puts his word into your life, when he puts his son into your life, folks, he wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. How do you bear fruit? Well... The big picture of bearing fruit is that a follower, according to this parable, is fruitful fruitful by listening to and heeding the word of God. 
God's word comes alive in a heart that is open to him. It grows, it matures, and it bears fruit as a result of us listening, understanding, and obeying the word of God in our lives. And there's this thought in contemporary Christianity that you can pick and choose the kind of relationship with you, with what, with God that you want. Kind of pick and choose from a, from a weekly hour to a daily dose. And we just kind of keep God off to the side and we can still be a follower. And, and, and that's the picture uh, of our culture, but it's not the picture of the scriptures. This is not the heart of God and it's certainly not an authentic follower of Christ. Jesus is really clear in this as he is in, in Luke and in Matthew when he shares this parable. He's clear in the interpretation of it. He clearly spells out that we're to listen to, apply, follow, obey the word of God when it comes into our lives. And when it comes to being fruitful as a follower of Christ, there's four realities we need to know that this parable reminds us. And the first one is this. The word is resisted. Jesus was resisted. His whole life at this point is a picture of look at all the people who resisted him. So when he came into the world and he said, I am the Christ, and he called people to follow him, there were people that resisted him. But now as we think about what do people say about Jesus Christ right now in our world, Boy, Jesus is resisted by a hardened kingdom. He's resisted by, resisted by a hardened world. He's resisted by a hardened heart. And when you are following Jesus, there's a resistance within you to continue following him. And that's why we have to ask the question, what is it in my life that's resistant within me? Folks, do not be surprised. This is the default switch of humanity when it comes to Christ. We do not want anyone telling us what's right, what's wrong. And we certainly don't want anyone to tell us how to live. Like the book of Judges says, last verse in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It says, they had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Folks, that's the American culture. It, it produces a theology that says, I'd like to think that God is. And we just fill in the God of our choosing, the way that we want to live. And we, we ask God to serve us. There's no desire in our world to serve God. That's why Proverbs 12, 15 says, a, rule, a fool, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Boy, we need that, don't we? See, that whole definition of a fool is that when the light of God's truth comes into your life, guess what you do? You try to change the truth so you don't have to change. And a whole picture of wisdom is that when the light of truth of God comes into your life, you change to reflect the truth. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, there's going to be change in your life. And in our culture, it says, just accept me the way I am. The way, yes, God starts there. But you better believe if the word is planted in your life, you're going to change. It's the intention of your heavenly father that you bear fruit. But there's resistance to it. What's resistance in you towards God's word? 
You know, as I read the scriptures, I see a wonderful definition of love that shows up to give and not to get. Most of us get into relationships for what we can get. I'm lonely, so I need someone. I want to be loved, so I need to get love from someone. God's love comes to give. Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the whole pattern in every one of our relationships that we show up to give love, not to get love. That's hard. I'm resistant to that because if I don't do this intentionally, I wake up thinking, how can my wife serve me today? And I get ticked when she doesn't. And I just can't wait to the day when I can wake up and there won't be that, that desire to just have my needs met, my desires met, but for me to wake up with an other's picture. That's a, I have to resist against myself. There's another thing of God's forgiveness that I'm resistant to. I love to get God's forgiveness and I love to pray, God, forgive me for that. And I'm so thankful he does. But boy, I'm, I'm okay when someone messes up once or twice. But three or four or five times the same thing? I don't know. There, there's a time when we've got to have revenge on people, people. There's a time when we just got to say enough, right? No, but God's word calls us 70 times, 490 times to forgive. Well, I'm resistant to that. See, there's parts of us that... That's going to resist the word. And that's why it's important for us when we open God's word to say, God, there's parts of this that are going to change me that I'm afraid of. It's going to mess with me. It's going to mix up my life a little bit. Lord, point those things out to me. Humble my heart. Soften soften a, a heart that might be blind to something or resistant to something. And show me the picture of what you want from me. Prepare your heart when you get into God's word each day. Secondly, the word's going to be tested. It will be tested in our lives. Look at verse 16. Jesus is is explaining what this means. Now, he shared it with the crowd, but he explained it with the 12. Those who were on the inside, he was sharing them and he was going to give them a picture And he says in verse 16, those are the ones when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The word's going to be tested. Well, how's it going to be tested? Trials, suffering, and the result is falling away. Why? Because it has no depth. It didn't go deep in the suffering and trials. It didn't grow deep. And and there's this thought in contemporary Christianity that if we just believe in Jesus, like voting for Pedro, all of our wildest dreams will come true. (laughs) And, And we think as long as he's in our lives that... That everything ought to be sunshine. There ought to be no problems. And the second we have suffering, the second we have tribulation, we go, what in the world? I didn't sign up for this. Do you love me? Do you care? And yet when we read the scriptures, if we're open and we're honest, we will see a church that went through struggle, a church that went through conflict, a church that scattered and ran for their lives because of persecution. But wherever they landed, They preached the word. They threw out the seed. 
See, that's normal in the Christian life is trials and suffering. And you have the opportunity in your walk with Christ to either keep your faith in Christ at a fourth grade level that knows all the stories and even has memorized the passage, but you aren't trusting. And so you're shallow. And when pain is down here and you don't have a faith to address it, boy, look out. What do you do with this whole part of life in a broken, messed up world? What do you do? You see, God wants us to go deeper. We, in, in the times of suffering, we need to hang on to the hand of God. We need to go deeper. We need to have a passionate search for Christ in, in the times where it's lonely, in the times where it's dark. Maybe God's inviting us, grow deeper with me. You all know it. In every relationship, when someone goes vulnerable and says, man, I'm not feeling it anymore, or I'm really hurt by this, guess what happens? The relationship has an opportunity, if you're open and humble, for to have that relationship grow. That's the heart of your heavenly father. He wants deep roots in your life. Some of you have left the church. You've said, I'm done. And you've come back. Can I just ask you, don't come back and flirt with Jesus. Don't come back and just flirt with this thing called Christianity. Go deep. You left because you were shallow. And there was nothing more than a church to hang on to. Come back and passionately pursue Jesus Christ and go deep with him. Sink your roots. Entertain. Don't question his presence in the darkness. Invite his light into the darkness. Get around community. Get with a community of brothers and sisters who can support you and encourage you and help you when you're going through a time. Of suffering. No, we want to, we want to build our own little corner in this world and just experience the darkness. We want to be isolated. No, invite God, invite your church family into the suffering with you. And what does God do? Every time I've done that, He's grown me deeper. Every time I've resisted in pride or arrogance or fear that people will reject me if they really knew the real me. I've been shallow. See, God wants deep roots. Deep roots produce great fruit. Thirdly, the world is the word is going to have rivals. There's going to be competition for the word in your life. Look at verse 18 and 19. It says this. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word. And here it is again. And it proves unfruitful. What's competing? See, there's competing forces here. Jesus spells them out. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. Cares of the world, worry, fears, doubts. Deceitfulness of riches, pride. The self-made man. The self-made woman. The one who experiences um, great independence. In their lives. Yeah, what does that do? It's a shallow faith. If Jesus is just here to make my wildest dreams come true, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of use for Jesus when the whole floor drops out of my life. When the, when the basic tenant of the gospel is the floor dropped out of heaven and Jesus came to this world. 
to live a life we could not live, to die on a cross, to pay a price we couldn't, and to, be, to rise up on the third day to secure death over sin, victory for eternal life. I mean, that's the gospel. It meets us on the lowest point of our lives, and God is there. He shows us that. The word will have its rivals. So what's competing in your life for the word? One of the things that's competing in my own life is um, the value I have to live simply to give generously. That's been a value I've had over the course of my marriage with my wife. We've always wanted to live a little more simpler so that we could give generously. And I grew up in a family of means where we never had needs. We always had wants. And so materialism has always been an issue in my life. And I love gadgets. I really do. The problem with gadgets, it's gadgets. You can own gadgets, but they can also own you, can't they? Yeah. I mean, think of a look at Christmas. We all traveled thousands of miles to go see relatives, to look on a screen and connect with people who weren't even in the room. <laughs> I mean, really, these things are called smartphones, but they make us dumb to relationships because we're always distracted. And all the alerts, all the notifications we have in a given day, it's really hard for a for a central theme for our lives to be sourced in God when we're so distracted. And then there's the desire for just one more. I want one more. There's a thought, if I just made 10 grand more, everything would be better. I could do this and that. We always want more and we're rarely content with enough of Christ. The word's gonna have its rivals in our lives. And so what we need to be able to do is we need to elevate and the biblical word for it is glory in Christ. Raise him to his rightful place in our lives. He, number one, the single most important relationship in my life is my relationship with Christ. Everything else benefits when I'm sourced and centered in Christ. It's going to have a, 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 a rival, but we have to be willing to know what's competing in our lives. Some of us, it, we worry about our future and we're kind of trapped in fear. We go, until I get that relationship, I don't know that I really want to be all in with Christ. And really, the person you need to be is someone who's reflecting Christ in that relationship. So we're called to this. Now, here's the great thing about the parable. Jesus just doesn't say, don't do this, don't do that, and don't be that kind of soil. He says, this is the soil. This is the soil you're called to be. And you've got to realize that when God calls you away from anything, he calls you to something better. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. Why? Because he's interested in a harvest. And that's why the fourth truth is this. The word will be rewarded. Look at verse 20 of chapter 4. It says, these are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The, the picture here again of this supernatural harvest is what Jesus is saying is what could compare to the harvest that I have in store for you when you listen to, understand, and follow my word? He's going to say no comparison. There's nothing better than to be planted to have the word planted in your life and to listen to and heed it. 
You see, we know what prevents it, right? We know that that hardened heart, faith is easily stolen away. We know that when faith is in a shallow, we have a shallow faith, a, a conditional, you do this for me, God, and I'll do that for you kind of faith. We know that that's going to be scorched when we go through times of trial. We know that, that a faith that loses out because it's distracted and choked, we call it busy with the kids, but the result is the same. A faith is stolen, it's scorched, it's choked out, no fruit. But it's the same sower. It's the same seed. It's the same sower. We could call him generous. Others would call him wasteful with the seed. It's the same seed. It's a potential to come to life and produce fruit. What's different about this story is the soil. What's different about this room with the same words going out that everyone hears is it falls on hardened lives. It falls on shallow lives. It falls on distracted lives. And it falls on good soil. Lives that are open to listening to and heeding, following Jesus. Each day I walk in the front door of our church, I see this picture over the fireplace. It's a reminder to me of the potential of God's word being planted in the soil of my life and everyone connected here at Fellowship Bible Church. Each day I walk into my office, I see this same jar of seeds. I've had this in my office for 12 years. You may not realize it, but I am OCD with my lawn. I love a good lawn. And I have three boys, and so I'm working through forgiveness, how over all these years as they've trampled down my lawn each year. But you know what it means? I've got to sow a lot of grass seed. So 12 years ago, I reached into that 50 pound of Kentucky fescue, cheapest grass out there, and I dug this out and I put it in my office to realize it's about God's word being placed in people's lives. And I never forget about it. This, this grass seed is over 12 years old and I believe today if I planted it in good soil, it would grow today. This word... This seed was planted before the foundation of this earth. And today, if it was planted into your life, could produce fruit. We know that. We know that. We may be, we may feel hardened by resist, a resistant heart. We may feel scorched by the trials of life. We may, may feel choked by the distractions of our lives. But here's what God sees when he looks at you. See it? This is what he sees. He sees the harvest. We look at God and we go, go, boy, that's your word. That's harsh. I would have to change to become a reflection of your word. I don't know. You're mean. You're changing my life. And God sees, no, no, no. This is what I see. When my word is planted into your life, did you ever look at or think about your heavenly father when he takes his word, might want to produce something greater than you are? And far beyond the capacity of anything you could generate. See, this is our heavenly father. And Jesus teaches us through this simple parable. That in in our heavenly father's desire to produce fruit in us. All we have to do is listen and follow. And allow him to do a great work of transformation in our lives. This is 
our God, the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the teaching of Jesus that that calls out to a hardened heart to soften to your word. That calls out to a, a shallow heart that are amidst trials and are wondering if they can hang on to your hand and you go deep. Invite us, Lord, to go deeper into a life with you. For those of us who are distracted with weeds, Father, would you show us that nothing, nothing compares. Help us to see your best for us and to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to sow your seeds of faith in our lives. And Lord, for those who have received it and are bearing fruit personally, may we be people who are willing to bear fruit through sharing about you, the sower, and the truth of your seed with everyone we meet. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.